The best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their best ball mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you the best score each week and the highest scores at the end of the year. The champion of best ball mania won by drafting in June last year. So there's no better time like the present to join Underdog and take a shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus... Get your deposit doubled up to $100 with promo code PFF and a free PFF subscription if you play 10 of those dollars. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. everybody welcome the wednesday show is on and about sorry that it was kind of up there for a while before anything actually started there um welcome back we got some news even though it's the the dead part of the season lamar jackson talk is everywhere so i'm going to hit that again i talked a little bit about these espn quarterback rankings on monday but the lamar jackson story that angle of it i probably did not hit on as high as i as much as i could have and not as long as i could have on that one since it's spiraling out of control a little bit here some of the narratives there so for for those who didn't see it so i'm going to talk that first we'll go over all those things there hit some mailbagish sort of stuff then get into my statistical greatest quarterbacks of all time rankings where I built my own methodology to rank everyone from the modern era, which believe it or not, starts back in the mid forties through today. I'll be hitting numbers 20 through 11 today. Um, Three players in that category who are not in the hall of fame, two of them yet to be eligible. One of them has been eligible for about 30 years. So I have someone ranked much higher, according to the stats, than the Hall of Fame voting committees have right now. Okay, so let's get to Lamar Jackson first. For those who maybe were lucky and didn't see everything that happened there, ESPN comes out with 50 executives that they poll. They're ranking all the different quarterbacks. They compile all that together, and then they come up with who they believe are the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL by combining all these different rankings. So uh, people get upset. And the reason they're upset is because of this Lamar Jackson, honorable mention. So for those of you who did not see it, here's what's exactly written in this piece. And I think part of the issue is the one quote, which I've highlighted on the bottom here is a negative quote because he did not make the top 10. So there's going to be a little bit, they're going to put something negative in there as a reason why he did not make the top 10. I'll just read what it says here in the piece for the honorable mention, Lamar Jackson, unanimous MVP in 2019, not being in the top 10. So it says here, keeping a quarterback with an MVP award and a 37 and 12 record as a starter off the top 10 list is surprising, but that's exactly what more than half of the voters did. So half of the people did not have him in the top 10, but I guess the flip side of that is half of the people did have him in in the top 10. So despite some standout moments in 
2021, they mentioned that he finished with a career low QBR of 50.7. Now, let me translate that a little bit for people who aren't as familiar with ESPN's QBR as I am. So the QBR, it's based on expected points added. It has a rushing contribution. They weight different things depending upon how much they believe it's on the quarterback. So things like air yards on a throw is more on the quarterback or if it's a receiver. So running after the catch on the receiver, they give more credit to rushing also for quarterbacks being more about them than it is about the offensive line or the surrounding pieces. So the 50.7 on QBR, QBR is from a zero to 100 scale. And what it's meant to encapsulate in that number, what it's meant to say is on a against an average team in a total on an, you know, on a neutral field with average supporting cast, how often would you expect to win with this quarterback? So 50.7 means it's basically a coin flip. So they're saying last year, the way that Lamar Jackson played, according to his advanced metric, is about a coin flip. So that's the that's the career low that he had in QBR. And he also struggled a lot in his last few games. But of course, he had a lot of injury concerns here. And I think something that's been highlighted here is the quote at the bottom. Maybe I'll move myself out of here so you can see where it says, hard to stay healthy when you run that much. He's actually gotten a lot better as a passer, an NFL offensive coach said. But if you play that way, meaning with a run-heavy attack, and it's a close game and you're down, it's really hard to win because you're asked to do what you only minor in, not major in, and that's passing the ball when they know you're going to pass it. Okay, so let's, let's, let's talk through this one a little bit here. That quote, I get it's a bit inflammatory, but I think at the same point in time, my exercise was, let me look at this top 10 list that they have, and let me try to figure out you know, where should he be or not? How much of this is an emotional reaction to him not being in the top 10 versus a true travesty that he did not end up getting into the into the top 10? So let's just quickly roll through who exactly was in the top 10 on this list. So we had Aaron Rodgers is the first person listed on here. Then we had um, Patrick Mahomes is second. Then we have... Tom Brady, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford, Justin Herbert, and let me see who was after Herbert, and Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and Dak Prescott. So I think the first thing that, that jumps out to me is, you know, the quarterback is kind of stacked right now. So quarterback is fairly stacked right now, which is going to make it difficult to make this type of list. In my opinion, he's not he's not going to be above Patrick Mahomes, right? We, we know that. He's not going to be above Brady or Rodgers, those two guys. He's not going to be above, in my opinion, the two second-year guys, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Burrow's a maybe, but it's just be hard to put him above those two guys right now coming off of the season that they did. Joe Burrow being number one in PFF grading, top 10 in efficiency, um, Justin Herbert being top five in both different categories last season after having rookie of the year season the season before. So you take those guys out of the equation. So now we're saying, okay, at best, at best, after we're taking out those five guys, Lamar Jackson could be sixth as part of this conversation. But let's think about the other names that are that are in here too. So are we putting him above Josh Allen? I think that'd be, that'd be pretty hard to do also. So then we're taking him out, out of the mix there. Our, so now he's down to seventh at best. So the ones that we have left are probably a little bit more questionable. Matthew Stafford, 
you know, I could see him being above Matthew Stafford, but Stafford was six in this ranking last year. He wins the Super Bowl. He has the most efficient season by expected points added in the NFL last season. Going to be kind of tough. Going to be kind of tough to take him out in front of their in, fr- in front of that one too. So now we're down to Wilson, uh, Deshaun Watson, and Dak Prescott. Wilson has struggled the last couple of seasons. But as anyone who watched my last episode on the statistical GOAT quarterbacks, he's in the 20s. He's a lock Hall of Famer. Are we going to take a lock Hall of Famer and put him below Lamar Jackson because Jackson had that MVP a couple of seasons ago? Or are we going to have confidence that both players who have had kind of down years the last couple of seasons, who do we have a little bit more confidence going forward? I mean, I would still put Wilson above Lamar Jackson at this point. Okay, so now we're saying... Could he be ninth or 10th on this list? Deshaun Watson, from a football perspective, and again, I don't know how you want to rate these sorts of things, but I think from a football perspective, pretty hard to keep Deshaun Watson behind Lamar Jackson. And again, Watson is someone who has really taken off as far as his play the last couple of times we did see him play. I mean, he was top 10 in grading and expected points added in 2019, and then he was top five in both categories in 2020. Now, if you want to take him off of the list because of all of the, uh, the, the assault allegations, all that sort of stuff, that's fine. But if you're talking about football, football, I think it's hard to put him there. So then we're really just talking about Dak Prescott versus Lamar Jackson. I'd have Lamar Jackson above Dak Prescott. I'd probably put him 10th and then put Prescott out, but we're talking about maybe a few votes that would flip in one direction or another that would end up out of the 50 different people that they're polling could end up having Lamar Jackson on this list. And then we wouldn't have all of this discussion that we're talking about now. I think as part of this discussion, it's just not thinking hard enough about the depth of the position and exactly what is the big deal about being 11th ranked, being 10th ranked, being eighth ranked, ninth ranked, because Jackson, like it or not, it's hard to get him up into the top five, top six, something like that quarterbacks. If you look at his career, I mean, his rookie season, we're not going to put too much into that in in 2018, but he was basically a bottom 10, bottom five type of quarterback in grading and efficiency. 2019, obviously, you know, blew up MVP, even though when you go through the end of the playoffs there, he came in second as far as his efficiency, falling behind Patrick Mahomes, who just lit it up in the playoffs, and he was fifth in grading that season. Now, the last two years for Jackson, and our grading may be a little bit biased. I'm, I'm using a full PFF grade, not just the passing grade. But our grading may be slightly biased because of the rushing. So he comes in 15th in our grading in 2020, 21st in 2021. So even if you want to write off 2021 as injury problems, hey, 2020, he already fell to being league average-ish in our grading. And if you look at the expected points added per play, which brings in the rushing, brings in the rushing value there, he was 13th in 2020 and 12th in 2021. So he hasn't been top 10 in grading. He hasn't really been close to top 10 in grading. He hasn't been top 10 in expected points added over the last two seasons. Now you don't fully discount what happened in 2019, the MVP year, the outstanding season at the same time, you don't fully discount what's happened the last two years. So I think this is perfectly fair to say that he is not in the top, top tier of quarterbacks, the top five-ish, six-ish sort of quarterbacks. He's somewhere in that next tier. And if he happens to fall to 11th in that next tier, I don't think it's as catastrophic or as, injust, as much of an injustice as it is 
if he's falling to 11th. I don't feel like it's it's that big of a deal. But if we bring up some of, you know, again, let's let's get to the let's get to the conversation here. Uh, if we bring up some of the stuff that's going on with Lamar Jackson on on the old uh, on the old Twitter, I think it's it's pretty funny here. Let me just uh, s- scroll through some of the stuff here. We have Mina Mina getting into the action, uh, talking about it being kind of ridiculous that he's not in the top ten and, and the concerns. You know, I don't again eleventh. I don't think it's ridiculous for him to be eleventh. You scroll down a bit further, all these people are talking about Lamar Jackson. Uh, Jackson even has a quote himself in here where he's talking about, see, look at this. Lamar Jackson is a top 10 quarterback, this nonsense. I mean, yeah, but again, you have to be able to tell me who you're taking off that list. If he's 10th or if he's 11th, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Again, more and more reaction here. It was getting a lot of things here. And I think even Jackson himself had something going on here, uh, where he ends up sending something out. Uh, first of all, he has the I need money at the top of his uh, his Twitter uh, account, too, which I think is interesting. But even silence is golden. Silence is golden. I'm pretty sure that that has either to do with what happened with the rankings yesterday or it has to do with what's going on in his contract situation. So it became a little bit of a thing recently. I don't think it's that that big of a deal. I think it's much to do about nothing, quite honestly, when we're talking about some of some of this stuff here. But however you want to you want to go through it and you want to look at it. It was uh, it was an interesting it was interesting to behold to to look at all these different things that were going on uh, with Lamar Jackson. To me, eleventh, ninth, tenth, eighth, wherever he belongs is fine. Let's not make a big deal about it. Even though I know we are highly desperate right now in the offseason to have some stuff to talk about. All right, before we get on to the QB goat countdown, continuing that here, I want to hit the old ad read here, and this one is for Manscaped, gentlemen. All men strive for gold in their life, gold medals, gold watches, gold, everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle. Again, maybe flies with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He's big, hairless, winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right. Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them for the whole shebang. Join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with code PFF. Manscaped's brand-new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle yet, offering you a bulk discount on their top products. 20% off and free shipping with code PFF and manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use Code PFF, it's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package. Okay, quick review on the GOAT countdown. So we're looking at total career value added, and I'm using adjusted net yards per attempt, concentrating on efficiency here for passing, and I'm also adding in rushing value, giving them credit for rushing yards and touchdowns as a percentage of a passing offense for that season. So that's about 60% of the formula here. 20% of it is a peak, peak play. And you'll see the numbers for all the different quarterbacks here. And the peak play is their best five-year rolling period of value added during the regular season. And then 20% is in the playoffs. And when we're talking playoffs, when we're talking regular season, we're talking about value added. Accumulators are not going to get a whole lot if you're not playing at least 
a league average sort of rate. You get a little bit of credit for that. Once your efficiency is above league average, once it starts to get into the top five, top 10 sort of range, that's when you're getting a lot of credit. Those are the types of quarterbacks who are making it to the top, top of this list who are accumulating the most value. If you played in a lot of games and you played in a lot of playoff games because you had a strong supporting cast and a strong defense, but the quarterback's play was not good, you're not going to get a lot of credit for that. So it doesn't necessarily align, especially the playoff piece of it, does not align with who we may think are the best playoff quarterbacks because they've won a lot in the playoffs if it wasn't them actually playing really well in the playoffs. And we'll see in this subset that I'm going to go through today of 20th through 11th in the best statistical quarterbacks of all time, it does have the number one playoff quarterback of all time. So the number one playoff quarterback of all time, and people are probably thinking Tom Brady. No, it's not Tom Brady because Tom Brady has been about aligned with his normal efficiency, a little bit worse, honestly, than his normal efficiency in the playoffs. This is a guy whose efficiency went through the roof in the playoffs, and it did combine with a ton of success that he that he had. Quick recap, because you're going to be wondering where some players may be and may not be when I'm going through 20 through 11. Quick recap on 40 through 21. That I'm going to bring up, that I'm going to bring up here, just so you can you can take a gander at them really quickly. I'll have a little bit of commentary. Again, this is a pure statistical calculation, so it's not my rankings, like how I would rank them. I do give some commentary on context that could be missing, or just general feelings I have about style of play that could put some players up and put some players down in this. All right, let's uh, first hit up the 40 through. 31 guys. So Jeff Garcia probably too high on here, but he had a better, you know, career than many people may think took three different teams to the playoffs. So he was 40th next Jim Kelly at 39th, probably a bit underranked here. And I got a good comment from someone, uh, Adam Steele, who has written a bunch of different analytical work about how he might, I should probably should mention the fact that he played in the tough weather in Buffalo brought down his stats a bit. In addition to the time that he spent in the USFL it is not part of his stats here. Okay. Jim Hart Cardinals back in the day, he, he had a pretty strong peak here, but he probably has overstated his peak here. I probably would have him out of the top 40 Donovan McNabb. I've seen people rank him as high as being, you know, around 20th. That's, that's a bit high for me, but he comes in 36 in his statistical uh, ranking. Then we have John Brody, why a tittle who's probably someone who could go a bit bit higher his peak is low here but if you just look at the last few seasons that he had uh he's someone who's commonly seen as being like a top 20 ish sort of sort of quarterback but playing way back in the day so it's hard for people to get an impression of that joe namath i did a whole spiel about how namath is the most misunderstood quarterback in the nfl he's 33rd rank here i could go even higher on this a lot of knee injuries a lot of focus on TD INT ratio holds him down where he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And of course, he is. Uh, Troy Aikman, 32, another misunderstood guy, 14th in the playoffs. You'll see there. That's the that's an important part, important context there. Not only just didn't pass it a lot, didn't throw a lot of touchdowns, but in the playoffs, he really came to play, especially in that three year stretch where they went Super Bowl conference, uh, losing in the conference championship to the eventual Super Bowl winner and then Super Bowl again the next year. Rich Gannon, 31st, didn't get to start until later in his career. A very, very, very high peak here. Of course, he won an MVP and had a few great seasons there. Uh, okay, next we have, oh, I got to go back on this one. 
So let's go all the way back. Next, it goes Daryl LaMonica was 30th. Then Tony Romo. And again, Tony Romo is another guy with a lot of controversy here. Pretty good peak. Didn't have a long enough career and didn't do enough in the playoffs to really have a chance to be in the Hall of Fame. But he is one of the few players where we're talking about top 10 efficiency sort of seasons in more than half of his seasons. More like top seven type of efficiency seasons in more than half of the seasons. Very few players have done that in NFL history. Okay. Uh, Kenny Stabler, uh, the the snake in the Hall of Fame. Playoffs, six in the playoffs. Hugely stepped up during the playoffs, which gave him a big bump there. Roman Gabriel, kind of an unknown guy, but I like him a lot after watching him play. The way he should tackle. He's kind of like a combination of Josh Allen and um, Ben Roethlisberger. Boomer Sison would not expect him this high. Probably overstated his, his numbers here, but he didn't have a great supporting cast. I don't think he's helped himself in terms of how he ended his career with the Jets, and he probably also didn't help himself for how he has been in the, in the booth and in the studio. People are not big fans of his, I would say. Uh, Kurt Warner, very, 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 very short career. I think he only had four seasons where he played more than 12 games, but you know, hugely successful in those two MVPs, Super Bowl, two Super Bowl appearances. Norm Van Brocklin, wouldn't know a lot about him because he's from the old and olden times. He's also someone who's seen as being more like a top 20 quarterback. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, Big Ben, more of an accumulator, 20th overall in his career ranking, but 23rd in my ranking. He's brought down a bit because of his peak and his playoff performances were actually pretty pretty poor even though he played in a ton of games 27 different playoff games playoff performance is pretty poor Warren Moon he could be a much much higher if he didn't spend six years in the CFL winning five gray cups in the CFL uh, I'd probably have him in the 20 in below 20 in here somewhere in the teens as opposed to 22 fantastic player uh forgotten player because he didn't really have as much of the playoff success as you would have expected and he missed years 28 22 through 27 of his career Russell Wilson, probably a little high for Wilson here, having it 21, but he's just accumulated a ton of value, especially with his rushing value. You combine that with the fact that he's had above average efficiency in expected net expected points added um, and adjusted net yards per attempt every single season. It's tough when you accumulate that much not to have a very high rating in this pure statistical formula. Um, so that's how he ends up making it all the way up there. All right, we've reviewed it all for 40 through 21. Let's get into the new names here for the top 20 quarterbacks. And we're going to start with some controversy. I think right off the bat, a current player, and that is Matt Ryan, comes in at 20th. You see his career number here is 22. His peak number is 23. His playoffs are 34. Not a lot of playoffs but though we did have a very strong Super Bowl run with the Falcons in 2016. Now, I'm going to give more context on why I think Ryan might be someone who should be on the outside looking in as far as the Hall of Fame is concerned. I think of any player that I have in the top 20, like I said, there's one guy who's been eligible for the Hall of Fame for 30 years and hasn't made it. So he's probably the least likely to make it. But Ryan probably is second, even though I have five different players in the top 20 who aren't eligible yet for the Hall of Fame. I think 
Three of them are locks for the Hall of Fame, absolute locks for the Hall of Fame. You will not hear them today. They're going to be in the top 10 for my statistical rankings. Two are question marks, and I think Ryan is probably the bigger question mark of the two, at least in, in my eyes. Okay, so Matt Ryan, of course, he's, he came into the league third pick overall in 2008, playing with the Falcons through 2021, and now he comes over to the Indianapolis Colts for 2022. Let's talk accolades for here. I mentioned rookie of the year. I mentioned he was the third pick overall. He was also the rookie of the year in 2008. He was the MVP in 2016. First team all pro also in that year. And he went to the Super Bowl, his only Super Bowl appearance. And he only has four Pro Bowls. Now, Pro Bowls are a weird stat. You can A lot of guys can get into the Pro Bowl who probably don't deserve to get in. It's not the highest threshold. But it is interesting when a guy only has four Pro Bowls. And I get it. He's playing in the same conference with Rodgers and Breeze, which makes it difficult sometimes to get in there. But still, it's a pretty light number for anyone who would approach the Hall of Fame. What Ryan does have for him is he was a transformative player for that franchise when he came in after Michael Vick, the, the Falcons were reeling. They were four and 12 before Ryan got there. And then when his rookie season, when he was offensive rookie of the year, they went 11 and five and he was fourth in adjusted net yards per attempt as a rookie. So starting off with a top five efficiency type of player is a really, really high bar. I mean, people went nuts about what Justin Herbert did a couple of years ago as a rookie. And I mean, Herbert was great. Don't get me wrong, but Herbert was more on the counting stat side. His efficiency numbers were in the ballpark of league average, slightly better than league average. He just threw the ball a ton as part of that offense and put up big touchdown numbers in particular. Ryan, on the other hand, was truly an efficient stud quarterback. And the only other guy who's come close to having that type of efficiency as a rookie in the recent past is Dak Prescott in 20. Um, in 2016 was, 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 was close to that. Um, now let's talk about more about Ryan. See, the thing is he has this MVP season that he had in 2016, insanely good season. If you era adjust his efficiency in that season, it's tied by my numbers for the ninth best quarterback season ever. So we're talking about decades and decades and decades of quarterback play, ninth best season ever. That's how insanely good it was. But outside of that, and that's why it's hard to figure out how much of a peak player he is, outside of that, he did not have like consistent top five efficiency sort of seasons. Like he had that great rookie year. He had this amazing MVP season. And then Every now and again, he would approach that top five-ish sort of season, but he was not someone who was getting there consistently. But he is approaching just rare numbers when we talk about his career totals because of the fact that he came in on day one and they've had a high efficiency, high pass volume offense ever ever since. Uh, he's, he's nearing 60,000 passing yards right now. When he's done, assuming he plays a couple more years with the Colts, he'll probably be fifth all-time in passing yards which will put him behind only Brady, Breeze, Peyton Manning, and Brett Favre. So Ryan will be next on that list. That's going to help a lot in a Hall of Fame consideration. He's already in the top 10 ever as far as his number of touchdown passes. We'll probably end up somewhere between six and nine behind a lot of those, those similar names for touchdown passes there. Probably going to be somewhere in that range. So we're talking about a guy who's going to be fifth-ish, in passing yards, sixth, seventh-ish in passing touchdowns when he retires. So those are some strong, 
Very, very strong numbers, and it's going to be huge for his resume. Uh, Good playoff numbers, but again, he's just not going to have big value accumulation because he only has played 10 total playoff games. A very, very light number for a quarterback of his caliber, for a quarterback who played in an era where you can play four playoff games with the wild card game per season, potentially. Only 10 total games that he had there. Um, His efficiency in the playoffs has been a little bit better than his regular season, and especially in that 2016 Super Bowl run. So he has three games in that Super Bowl run. Uh, In those three different games, he had over 1,000 yards passing, so he was averaging close to 350 yards per game, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. So three touchdowns per game, zero interceptions, 10.3 yards per attempt. Really, really strong numbers, and it's a shame that he did not get his Super Bowl ring then because then you'd have the MVP and the Super Bowl ring. Now, what are the downsides here? The numbers by themselves, he is a lock for the Hall of Fame by the numbers by themselves, but I don't think that he is by perception. And I'm going to go through some of that, some of what surrounds that. Number one, like I mentioned, not the high, high end seasons consistently. So only three top five seasons throughout all these different years that he had in efficiency. Uh, Surrounding talent has always been pretty good. When he came into the league, he has Roddy White, at receiver, Roddy White had over a thousand yards receiving every year from twenty from two thousand and eight to two thousand and eleven. Then he has Julio Jones who comes in. They're playing at the same time with Roddy White and also extending back beyond that. I mean, to me, Julio Jones really good case for the best receiver of the past you know fifteen years. He is an efficiency enhancing receiver also because he goes down the field. He's such a field stretcher that it's going to give quarterbacks bigger yards per attempt number because that translates over to the Julio Jones yards per target numbers. And Jones is someone who can take 150, 200 targets in a season. You don't exactly have to throw it around a lot. Again, having Roddy White, having Julio Jones, these are guys that you can just look to and throw the ball and have confidence that they're going to get open. It makes quarterback play a lot easier. And then he also had Tony Gonzalez playing. While Gonzalez was at the end-ish of his career, he didn't come over to the Falcons until he was 33 years old. Gonzalez still gathered at least 100 targets all five years that he played for the um, for the Falcons from 2009 to 2013. He made the Pro Bowl four different times, and he also had one first-team All-Pro selection there. So that's pretty good supporting cast not only good as far as having multiple guys but high high end players who you can rely on and makes a quarterback's job that much easier the second part is dome playing in a dome so that meant in a 16 game season you got eight games at home every single season playing in the nfc south meaning you got another dome game in new orleans every season You got a game in Carolina every season. You're not going to have many weather problems there, even in December, where you have a lot of these uh, divisional matchups. And then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing in Tampa later in the year. It's going to enhance your passing numbers. Probably the friendliest possible schedule that you can have is playing in that NFC South and then playing against teams when it comes to the Panthers and the Bucks that just haven't been very good and haven't necessarily been very good defensively, consistently at least across the time. And then even the Saints, 
while the Saints have turned around that defense in particular since the 2016 draft where they just nailed that draft and then have done so well going forward there. Let's remember the Saints were a team that three straight seasons went seven and nine with Drew Brees at quarterback. That's a bad, bad, bad defense during <laughs> during that era. And Ryan was around to clean up on a lot of that. Now, Ryan's time that he's going to spend here with the Colts, two-year contract, if he can get through that two-year contract, if he can make the playoffs, he can make an extended playoff run, if he can prove success in another location, another dome, but another location, I think it's going to go a long way towards his Hall of Fame chances, despite the fact that this is not you know, the most important phase of his career in his late 30s. Even for me, someone who's not going to try to be too biased, it's going to be the most recent thing we've seen from him, and it's probably going to be overweighted somewhat versus what he did earlier in his career. So I think Ryan, again, for me, he's on the outside looking in when it comes to the Hall of Fame. If he plays really well for these next couple seasons, maybe extends further, can get to this Colts team that hasn't been able to get everything together, uh, had a good run with Phillip Rivers a couple of years ago, but can't get everything together, can get them to a new level that they haven't seen in a while. That's going to go a long way, I think, towards proving Ryan in multiple locations, multiple systems, uh, multiple supporting casts, not the great, great receivers here to, to go with where he had a luxury of a ton of great receivers, even Calvin Ridley, you know, coming in at the end there in Atlanta. This is going to be a big proving ground for Matt Ryan the next couple seasons. And one of the kind of low-key important storylines is his Hall of Fame candidacy based upon what we do see over the next two years. All right, next on the list here, John Elway. This is going to be controversial. Okay, controversy, controversy alert, controversy alert. John Elway being this, this low. So let me just say, first off, I've talked about the NFL 100 team a lot because I feel like it's a good way to differentiate the highest level of perception when it comes to football media and insiders. You know, Belichick was a big part of what was going on there. So the the NFL 100, every single category, they had one pre-modern player. So one player who was before that 19, mid 1945-ish sort of thing. Um, And at quarterback, they had nine players who would fit into that modern era. John Elway is on the team. So by that measure, by the measure of perception, again, I think that's not only is he in the Hall of Fame, which has about 27 different modern quarterbacks in there. Plus, I said there are, like, there are a few more that are locks to get in. Uh, not only was he on the all-decade team, not only is you know he had the, the reputation, but he was seen by this committee as being one of the top nine quarterbacks of all time, whereas his stats here, according to, to my formula, is 19. So that's, that's, that's a big gap. Elway is the lowest on this list of any of the nine quarterbacks who made the NFL 100 team. I'll just say up front, I believe John Elway is better than the 19th, but the pure statistical case puts him there and I'll go into detail on why he ends up there and why he should be higher once you take into context everything around him. All right, John Elway, Denver Broncos, 1983 through 98, never played anywhere else. Hall of Famer, two-time Super Bowl champion, three Super Bowl losses. So that's five appearances in the Super Bowl. 
MVP in 1987, and he also received MVP votes in three other seasons. So three other high-end seasons where people saw him as being an MVP candidate um, in addition to the MVP that he won. He was also second team All-Pro three different times. He's on the All-Decade team from the 1990s that the Hall of Fame puts together. And as I mentioned, selected to the NFL 100 team. So let's talk career. So early in, in Elway's career, his efficiency just was not very good. He posted below average adjusted net yards per attempt in four of his first seven seasons. So according to my formula, you are not getting credit the passing part of it. I'll talk about Elway's rushing later. But you are not getting credit for being below average. So it's like the season didn't happen almost according to, to my numbers because I'm trying to gauge value added play at a very high level at a, you know, at a greatest of all time, if you're measuring that type of level. So that hurts him a bit. And the context here for those early seasons that he had for a number of early seasons that he had is that the Broncos had a great defense, but the offensive talent around Elway is putrid. Um, you know, maybe not the worst of all time. There were definitely guys who got hype because they were playing on this winning team. They used to have their receiver trio, the three amigos. I mean, those guys all weren't, weren't very good. <laughs> those guys are like not Pro Bowl level quality at all, but they had a nickname because they were making it so far. Again, the three Super Bowl appearances early in his career that they weren't able to win. So that's where he had this perception, this high perception that got him into the MVP conversation that gets him onto the NFL 100 team for the thinking about that early career play, but it doesn't match up with the numbers. He was having to do so much on offense. If you look through... Elway's first nine NFL seasons and you count up the first team and second team all pro selections for anyone but John Elway on offense there's zero so nobody if you count up pro bowls again pro bowls not the highest threshold here but if you count up pro bowls four times running backs made the pro bowl but as we know, a team with a great defense that wins a lot of games, that running back production can be much a function of that as it is of actual running back talent. I mean, two times, let me listen to these names here. Two times Sammy Winder went to the Pro Bowl, Bobby Humphrey went to the Pro Bowl, and Gaston Green went to the Pro Bowl. Fine players, I'm sure, but not players who are going to be elevating their quarterback play. So those are the four, four times of those Pro Bowls. So I'm going to kind of set those aside. Other than that, for all the... 10 offensive players that are on the field for nine different seasons, two Pro Bowl selections. That's it for, for anyone else. The two Pro Bowl selections were both for a guard. Okay, that was it. A guard made the Pro Bowl twice during those first nine seasons. That is not having supporting talent at all. So it wasn't really until... Elway was 33 years old that his play took off. That's when he had the most efficient stretch of his career, finishing in the top five of efficiency, three of his last five seasons, and he was in the top 10 all but one season. This is after struggling to even be league average in seasons earlier where he had no surrounding talent. So what happened? His offensive line got a lot better. It was one of the stronger offensive lines, one of the best offensive lines there. He had two-time... Uh, Second-team All-Pro Rod Smith was one of his receivers. One-time second-team All-Pro Ed McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey's father, uh, as his other receiver. Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp at tight end. 
And then a few years into this stretch, Mike Shanahan becomes his head coach and they're really driving efficiency there. So when Elway had the pieces around him, he played like easily a top 10 greatest quarterback of all time. He just did not have those pieces around him early in his career. Um, and another thing is you might say, well, if he was so bad, bad relative to others early in his career, if he was barely league average, all these different seasons, how is he getting up even in my rankings? How is he getting up to being 19th of all time? Am I fudging some of these numbers, the career 17 number, 17th ranked number there? And I'm not because of the rushing production early in his career. So while he didn't have the passing there, he is 11th of all quarterbacks that I have ranked as far as the rushing value added. He ranked in the top 10 quarterbacks in rushing yards 14 different times during his career. He rushed for over 200 yards in a season 11 times, and he was among the top three quarterbacks in rushing Four different seasons. And the last thing we want to talk about here when it comes to Elway, his playoff number, 11. His 11th ranking in the playoffs. Won the two Super Bowls at the end, but also when he made those playoff runs and they didn't win the Super Bowl early early in his career, he got slaughtered in some of those Super Bowls. And that may be in our mind, but, you know, he had to get to the Super Bowl each time. He stepped up his passing, passing efficiency when it came to the playoffs. He was averaging about a yard more per attempt in the playoffs. Plus, he ran for about 500 yards and six touchdowns in the playoffs, which puts him way, way up there on the scale. Elway's a combination of perhaps the most touted and most highly valued prospect coming into the NFL of all time. It's either going to be him or Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. That those are the three, the three guys in recent memory that you can really point to. Elway might be number one, might be the most physically talented quarterback that we've seen in a long time, perhaps ever. If you watch some of his clips, and I've done that recently, it just screams Patrick Mahomes. Uh, maybe it's the baseball background too. Elway was an excellent pitcher. Elway just did things on on the field that didn't make sense. Was he sloppy? Did he miss some passes? Was he trying to do too do too much sometimes because of the lack of surrounding talent in his uh, in his early career, which hurt his efficiency? Definitely, no doubt about it. But there's no doubt also in my mind that he's underrated here according to the pure statistics. And anyone who says, "Well, Elway's stats actually weren't that good, so he's overrated," is probably not appreciating enough the contextual stuff around his early career and all that he's able to bring to the field as far as the physical talents just being on another level for John Elway. Next, Bart Starr. Let's go back in time a bit here. The thing that's going to jump out at you immediately, Bart Starr, is two, his playoff, his playoff number, the second most value added ever in the playoffs. I'll get into the particulars there. But with this Green Bay Packers team, there's never been a more dominant stretch of you know, pre-Super Bowl into the first couple of Super Bowls, and Bart Starr was there and performing extremely well. What's interesting about him is he has the 14th best career number here, but he's only 35th for his peak. His peak is hurt quite a bit by low volume. And now, again, that's another thing. I'll get into the particulars here for, for, for Starr and how he just did not pass the ball that much. So Bart Starr he played for the Green Bay Packers from 1956 to 1971. Hall of Famer. Five-time NFL champion, and I'm saying NFL champion, not Super Bowl champion, because this is pre-Super Bowl. Two-time Super Bowl champion, the first two Super Bowls. 1966 MVP, two-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, all-decade team for the 1960s. 
He was one of the 22 finalists for the NFL 100 team, but he did not make the NFL 100 team. So that, again, piece of context here to think about, not considered by the football cognoscente, Bill Belichick and everyone else there, not considered to be in the super elite category of those nine quarterbacks, nine modern era quarterbacks who made the NFL 100. So that gives you some perception for obviously a guy that probably every single person watching this, maybe only a couple people have actually watched him play live since he finished it, it, it in 1971. Okay. So he always had good to great regular seasons with longevity and not much of a peak. Now let's talk about the playoffs though. Cause I think again, let's start with the second, most value add in the playoffs. He only played 10 total playoff games. So I give guys a lot more credit per game played when they're playing at a time, you know, when he has these NFL championships before even the Super Bowl time, two teams made the playoffs and then, and then there was a championship game. That's it. There was one game, not the three, four games you have to go through now to get to the Super Bowl. So I give him more credit for those performances there. He averaged nine adjusted yards per attempt in the playoffs in an era when the average was around six, okay? In this era where Star played, interceptions were being thrown more often than touchdowns. In the playoffs, Star had 15 touchdowns and three interceptions. The Packers were nine and one. They only lost one time, the first playoff game that Bart Starr uh, started in, the first NFL championship that he went to, they lost. After that, he won nine straight times. So stars numbers, they're hurt by mostly by a lack of volume. When we talk about that peak, not being able to get that high, high peak number, the Packers, they were a running team. They were a defensive team star averaged about 220 passing attempts per season throughout his career. And if you take the NFL average team through that same time period through from 56 to 71, the average NFL team threw about 365 passes a year. So he was only at 220 versus 365. That's a massive difference. And it hurts a lot of his gross numbers. If you look at the total numbers that he has going into the Hall of Fame, you know, 20-something thousand yards, it looks really weak in comparison to a bunch of other quarterbacks. Now, he did lead the NFL in yards per attempt in three different seasons, and he was very careful with the football, posting the lowest INT rate in three different seasons. Also, he finished with a plus 26 touchdown to interception total, which is really, really strong for that era. Now, sacks are not tracked through most of when he played. It started being tracked in 1969, so it only has a few years of sack data. But there are some sack yard numbers you can get your hands on. We don't have the sacks themselves, but the yards. And Starr looks like he took a ton of sacks. So he was playing a low-volume throw the ball down the field, play action off of the running game type of offense. So those numbers, if they were part of this analysis, it would hurt a little bit worse. He would probably look a little bit worse statistically, maybe fall out of the top 20 even statistically, because he probably had something like a 10% sack rate, which would have hurt his numbers quite a bit. Um, if you want to apply this label, and I know it's a pejorative in quarterback conversations, but Star was probably the best possible game manager that you could have. And, you know, he, while he made the all decade team and, you know, all the success with the team, he just wasn't viewed as being a superstar type of player. And they didn't play him as the star type of player, like a Johnny Unitas or someone like, like that at that point in time, but he was the perfect complement to the Packers running and defense to win all of these different Super Bowls, combining his efficient play with what they were doing. So again, I think star is, 
a top 20 quarterback. I agree with the NFL 100, not putting him in that elite, elite category into the top 10, but obviously a clear uh, no brainer hall of famer, especially considering all the different team success that he had. Oh, next Philip rivers. This is going to be a little bit controversial here. Philip rivers is the other guy I hinted at when I was talking about Matt Ryan, where I said there was going to be another player in this category who was going to be ineligible for the hall of fame, ineligible for the hall of fame, but is going to be better in my opinion, a little bit stronger case, I believe for Philip rivers versus Matt Ryan. I'll tell you why I think Philip rivers is almost like a slam dunk hall of famer. I'm talking about my personal opinion here, whether he makes it or not. I don't know. It's probably more like a coin flip type of exercise, but to me, he's a slam dunk hall of famer. And I'll, whereas I don't really view Ryan as being as slam dunkish, um, barring the fact that, you know, Ryan could go off these next couple of years in uh, Indianapolis and make me change my opinion. Okay. So rivers, he played for the San Diego chargers at that point in time, before they moved to LA, of course, from 2004 to 2019. And then he had his one year with the Colts in 2020. So accolades, not a whole lot in accolades. Again, very, very difficult era. We saw earlier with big Ben, with Russell Wilson, with Matt Ryan outside of that MVP season that, I mean, even Drew Brees doesn't have an MVP, right? So like all of these guys, it's really, really hard to get the accolades to even get the first and second team all pro type of accolades. So he does not have any first or second team all pros, just like a lot of those other guys. But a little bit of a difference was he was an MVP candidate and he received votes three different years, whereas Big Ben and Russell Wilson never received any MVP votes. Okay, so not only was he consistently great over a long period of time, but his highs, his high seasons were higher than any contemporaries in the quarterback position outside of Manning, Brady, and Breeze. Really, outside of those three guys, I would say Phillip Rivers, when you put him up against Ben Roethlisberger, Wilson, Ryan, anyone else, Again, other than that MVP season for Ryan, he really had the more consistent higher highs here. Five times he was a top five passer in efficiency, all done at a very high volume. There was a three-year stretch where he finished first, second, and second in adjusted net yards per attempt. Um, he started and played every single game for 15 straight seasons. So we talk about availability being one of the best abilities. He's been very, very, very available throughout his career. Um, he didn't start his first two seasons, but then once he started that third year after Breeze left for New Orleans, it was impossible to ever get him off of the field. His play never really fell off a cliff. He had a couple of down years. He had one below average efficiency season mid-career, and that was really it. Other than that, he was at least league average or better every single year of his career. He finishes with the six most passing yards and touchdowns of all time, and beyond that, in net yards per attempt, so that that is passing yards minus sack yards divided by passing attempts plus sacks. So every single time he's dropping back, how many yards are you getting when he's dropping back? He's tied for fifth of all time in net yards per attempt. So not only does he have the huge passing volume numbers, the counting numbers, but he also had the efficiency there. Better efficiency than a bunch of different quarterbacks, Matt Ryan, who I mentioned earlier, better efficiency than those guys too. So not just accumulating, but also doing it at a very high level, play in and play out. 
Now the playoffs are going to be the issue again for Philip Rivers. He was not very good in the playoffs. So that brings down his number where he's 40th of all time as far as his playoff number there. Only 12 games he played, again, a pretty weak number, and he only made it as far as the conference championship once back in 2007, so a very, very long time ago. So we just never saw him get past that division round, and that really is going to hurt his perception out there. Um, You know, his play suffered in the playoffs, but only slightly. He averaged 6.6 net yards per attempt in the playoffs, and believe it or not, that's better than the career average for Tom Brady, and it's roughly equal to Ben Roethlisberger and Peyton Manning quarterbacks who have the perception of getting you know a boost from their playoff success maybe not Manning as much as Roethlisberger and Brady but those are guys who are going to be seen because of the Super Bowl victories as being great playoff quarterbacks but the reality is Rivers hat was throwing it about as well he just turned the ball over a little bit too much in some of those playoff games pressing and trying to win but again only 12 games he had a chance to play which really hurts his playoff number there so playoffs are the big big negative for Rivers but there's nothing else you can really point to for me that says he does not belong in the Hall of Fame with the volume and with the efficiency that very very few people have okay Len Dawson Number 16 on this list. Really interesting career arc for Dawson. I'll I'll explain it here. I mean, everyone knows Len Len Dawson and the Chiefs as what they're all thinking of. Uh, Super Bowl champion of Super Bowl three, I believe. And I'm sorry, Super Bowl four. And he he did not play for Kansas City, though, until he had been in the league for seven years. He played he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers from 57 to 59, Cleveland Browns. 60 and 61, and then the Dallas Texans in the AFL, the old AFL in 62, before coming over to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFL, and he played there from 63 to 75. Accolades for Dawson. Hall of Famer, two-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, and three-time AFL champion. Now, Dawson could have been completely forgotten. He could have just been someone who withered away after a very ignominious start to his career. The Steelers selected him first overall in the 1957 draft, ahead of Jim Brown. You know, Jim Brown, perhaps one of the greatest players of all time in the NFL there. And his three years that he started in Pittsburgh, Dawson had 17 pass attempts total in three years, 496 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. Then... The Steelers traded him to the Cleveland Browns. He spent two years there, didn't do a whole lot more. Uh, Had a little bit over 100 yards, total passing yards in two seasons with Cleveland. So he looks pretty much done. Former number one pick, taking five years into your career, and you've done absolutely nothing despite that sort of pedigree. Now, his game flourished when he moved over to the AFL. He led the AFL in adjusted yards per attempt five different times in his first seven seasons. Uh, His numbers were gaudy, especially in the TD department. During his peak, his touchdown rate was close to 8%, where if you look, even in today's NFL, guys are very rarely getting to that type of number, and they're having a, you know, 50-touchdown season when they are. But it was facilitated by a lot easier competition in the AFL. The AFL at that point in time, and I mentioned the Dallas Texans who didn't even survive, um, it was kind of like a startup league. It was barely a major sports league. Eventually, at the end, 
you know, they get to the point where they can compete and win Super Bowls against the against the NFL, but not necessarily early in the league's history. So that helped Dawson accumulate these gaudy stats that he had there and builds a lot of value into my formula, which doesn't differentiate between NFL and early AFL stats. So he's probably overrated, according to the stats case here at 16, due to that inflation. And but, you know, he's still a locked in Hall of Famer. And again, he's someone who did not make the NFL 100 team. And also, he's someone who did not even make the 22 finalists for the NFL 100 team. So that's another data point there to show that he probably belongs out of the top 20 quarterbacks of all time with those AFL numbers um, boosting up his stats. So this 16 number is going to overrate him a bit here, and he should fall off because of that. And, you know, if he wasn't the number one pick overall, he could have played four, five, six seasons and then never heard from him again. Instead, he is a Super Bowl champion, a Super Bowl MVP, and a Hall of Famer after his switch over to the AFL. Next here, Terry Bradshaw, number one. Here's our guy, number one playoff player for, for Terry Bradshaw. Also a former number one pick. So Bradshaw played for the Steelers from 1970 to 1983. Let's go through the accolades here. Hall of Famer, all-decade team for the 1970s, which matched up well because he started his career in 1970. He was the MVP in 1978, four-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Super Bowl MVP. And he was a finalist. He didn't make the 22 finalists for the NFL 100 team, but did not make the final roster. Okay, Bradshaw... Is a good data point if you want to go back far enough, if you want to say, hey, just because a quarterback has been really, really bad to start their career, it doesn't mean they can't turn it around. Bradshaw's a great data point if you want to go back to 1970 because he was the first overall pick in the 1970 draft. And he had perhaps the worst rookie season for a successful Hall of Fame NFL quarterback ever. He completed 38% of his passes that rookie season, six touchdowns, 24 interceptions. He was sacked at an over 10% rate. And if you take his adjusted net yards per attempt on his 243 dropbacks that season, he was averaging less than one yard per time that he dropped back was the, was, was, was how good he was once you net out the adjustments for touchdowns and interceptions and, you know, get those sack yards out of there that he was getting sacked constantly. Doesn't get much worse than that. And honestly, things got better over the next four seasons, but not a whole lot. Bradshaw's efficiency was still well below average in three of the next four years. And he didn't post really good efficiency numbers until his sixth NFL season. So again, if you want to point to someone who has a slow start to their career and could still be a Hall of Famer, could still be a finalist for the NFL 100 team, Bradshaw would be your guy as a former number one pick. He made the Pro Bowl in his sixth season. And like Dawson, you know, who knows if he would have survived if he wasn't the number one overall pick that far into his career. The thing is, the end of his career, Bradshaw is, is pretty awesome. So he excelled for the final eight years of his career. He finished as a top five passer in four of those seasons. And what kept his early career afloat, which I should mention, while he had the poor passing numbers, he is 10th in career running value added for, for my calculation. He averaged 225 yards and three and a half touchdowns during those first eight seasons. And he finished with 2,200 yards and 32 touchdowns in his career. So that really helped him a lot 
kind of bridge the gap until later in his career, he became a successful passer. And you've actually seen this with a lot of different quarterbacks where they start off not the greatest with passing. They have some rushing value they're adding there. And then they transition later to being a great passer who is not rushing nearly as much. Okay, but let's get to the playoffs because that's where he truly shines. So he ranks better than any quarterback in history for value added, according to my calculation. He averaged nine yards per attempt during the Steelers' four Super Bowl runs while throwing six more touchdowns than interceptions. Over 19 playoff games, he averaged 7.6 net yards per attempt, substantially exceeding any total that he had in any season, including the MV- his MVP season. And, you know, he led the NFL twice in net yards per attempt. The 7.6, his playoff average, was better than he had in any season. Uh, the downside for Bradshaw is that he had a ton of surrounding talent. So the numbers picked up, the numbers got better, but we're talking about Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame center on his offensive line, Hall of Fame running back, two Hall of Fame receivers in Stalwart and uh, and Len Swan, Hall of Fame coach, and one of the best defenses of all time, which helped him get far into a lot of those Super Bowl victories, the Steel Curtain. Uh, so Bradshaw was not the driving force on this team, but he maximized their winning percentage and postseason success in a way similar to what we talked about Bart Starr earlier, but with a little bit higher highs, I would say, for Bradshaw here. So one of the most famed quarterbacks of all time, not going to make the top, top, top 10 sort of category, but the greatest quarterback in Steeler history. And I would put him above Big Ben, who we talked about in the last episode as being somewhere in the 20s as far as the greatest, greatest quarterbacks in the franchise history. Ken Anderson, this is going to be, this is the guy. Okay, so I'm already going to say straight up, I don't believe Ken Anderson belongs as far as being number 14 of all time because he is the guy not in the Hall of Fame who has been eligible to be in the Hall of Fame for 31 years at this point. He is on a finalist list that I've seen recently for a senior, senior member to get into the Hall of Fame. So maybe he'll sneak in that way as we've seen some others. But as far as the normal legitimate Hall of Fame process, his chances are dead in that in that regard. So why is he so high here versus what his perception is, which clearly is not close to being 14th overall? So if you look at Anderson, and again, this is the last guy who's either not in the Hall of Fame or a clear lock to be the Hall of Fame. All my top 13 guys are in the Hall of Fame or they're a 100% lock to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, So he played for the Cincinnati Bengals from 1971 to 1986. Um, His accolades, he was the MVP in 1981, first team All-Pro, and he has another season where he was a second team All-Pro. So he had five really high-end seasons. And in those high-end seasons, he also was rushing at an above-average rate. He had 2,200 yards and 20 touchdowns in his career rushing the ball. So that's what gives him such a high peak number here, having that 13th peak number. And... He just accumulated a lot over his career that he ended up getting to such a high number overall. Now, the thing is, the playoffs hold him down a bit here, although he does have the 20th ranking. He had six playoff games, but he had better than career efficiency in those playoff games. In fact, if you look at the Super Bowl that he played against Joe Montana that he lost, at that point in time, Montana was coming into his second season and you know Anderson was uh, MVP type of player at that point if you look at that game that he played he threw for 7.3 net yards per attempt versus montana's 6.2 but he threw two touchdowns in addition i mean threw two interceptions in addition to his two touchdowns and montana did not throw any interceptions but 
also in that game, he threw for 300 and something yards and Montana only threw for 160 yards. But the winner, you know, rewrites history as far as who the greatest are. The truth on Anderson is he probably somewhere closer to the perception side of thing than the stat side of thing. The perception side of thing would have him outside of the top 30, 40 quarterbacks in the NFL. But I still think he did enough over his career to get in, especially when you look at all the different seasons that he played, all the different high-end numbers that he played, leading the NFL in efficiency multiple seasons, leading the NFL in yards per game multiple seasons. He was doing it at a higher volume. He was not a low-volume game manager type, and he also wasn't someone who was surrounded by a ton of talent, although he did have talent, including our very own uh, PFF guru, uh, Chris Collinsworth, that he that he played with there. But unfortunately, just didn't get to the playoffs often enough and wasn't able to earn the type of accolades that would get him into the Hall of Fame. And plus, the way that he played, avoiding interceptions was probably his number one quality that he had. And that's just not necessarily something that gets rewarded a lot when we talk about Hall of Fame discussions. In fact, uh, the next guy that we're going to talk about here, people love the fact that he played in a way that he threw a lot of interceptions. And that is Brett Favre. So Favre is a little bit low on this list versus his perception. He is in the NFL 100. So he is seen, according to uh, everyone that put together that list, he's seen as being one of the nine best quarterbacks in the modern era. And he's 13th here on my list. So Favre is a guy where, while Ken Anderson is going to look good with adjusted net yards per attempt, because he held the interceptions down, held the sack yards down, and then was consistently good generating yards per attempt, the other part of the equation. Favre is a little bit of the, of the opposite. As a gunslinger, he's a player who could do things others can't, has you playing in any situation, in any game, but then also can be very loose with the ball, and it ends up taking away that incremental value that's going to make his numbers a little bit lower and make him so he can't burst into the top 10. But then again, you know, it's it's hard to get into the top 10 on one of these lists when we're talking about accumulating the most value of all time. Okay, so for Favre, with the Falcons for a season there in 1991, drafted in the second round before being traded over to the Green Bay Packers, was it with the Packers from 92 to 2007, with the New York Jets for 2008, and then Minnesota for 2009 and 2010. The accolades here, Hall of Fame, Super Bowl champion, three-time MVP in three straight seasons, three first-team and three second-team All-Pros, all-decade team for the 1990s, and NFL 100 selection. So as far as accolades are concerned, tough to get any better than this here. Um, what's weird about Favre is that his rolling five-year peak, the peak number that we have in this equation, is actually lower than his career number. And that seems weird because he won those three straight MVPs, but he had some down years around that. He was also second in MVP voting twice. Another time he was third and another time he was fourth. So with the MVPs that he won, we're talking about three, four, five, six, seven different years that he was at least in the MVP conversation. His numbers are hurt a bit by the struggles at the end of his career. After age 35, four of the six seasons, he had below average efficiency, mixed in with a couple of excellent season, seasons when he was 38 and 40 years old. And his willingness to take risks made him you know, very, very exciting, but it also contributed to lesser value and two all-time records that, not the best all-time records to have, 
but it really is indicative of the way he played. And he holds the career records for most interceptions with 336 and most fumbles with 166. Those are two records that may never be broken. I mean, we have an NFL going further and further towards shorter passes and fewer interceptions. And also the shorter passes, the shorter time to throw means fewer fumbles. So it's possible that Brett Favre will always hold the career records for interceptions and fumbles, which takes away from his value a little bit here versus what his perception is. But he was surprisingly good at avoiding sacks. So I think it shows you that he's willing to take chances when he was throwing the ball rather than take a sack. And there just wasn't much conservatism in his, in his game at all points, even when that may have been something that would have enhanced his value slightly. I mean, anyone who grew up watching football in the 90s knows that Brett Favre is one of the greatest ever to do it. A little bit underrated by my metric here. I would put him... I don't know. I would probably put him in the 11th, 11 to 10th sort of sort of range. Um, so it's not dramatic for him to be outside, but it's really just hard to get up there. You'll see when you see the different names who are who are higher up uh, into the top 10 the next time I go through the list in the next uh, podcast. All right. Next is Dan Fouts. Now, this is a controversial one somewhat. Boosted by his Air Coriel offense and putting up absolutely insane counting stats and efficiency through that time. If you see his peak here, it's fourth. Fourth best peak as far as a rolling five-year period of his career. 16th in his career numbers, only 43rd in the playoffs. He definitely did not have a great playoff success. And I think that number, while it's 20% of my calculation, just really hurts the perception for certain players a lot more in the mind of football media and historians. So Fouts played for the San Diego Chargers from 73 to 87. Accolades here, Hall of Famer, never won an MVP, but he did finish twice and he also finished fifth and sixth. So he got MVP votes in, he finished twice, two different times in fifth and sixth. So he got MVP votes in four different seasons. He also has an additional second team all pro in another season. He was part of the all decade team for the 1980s and he was a finalist for the NFL 100 but did not make the top nine list. So in the late 70s and early 80s, the Chargers just rewrote the record books. Uh, again, called Air Coriel after Don Coriel, their offensive coach. And if you look at peak play, so starting in 1979 for Fouts, his rankings in adjusted net yards per attempt for the different seasons here, he went second, third, second, first, second, seventh, first. That's a pretty. That's a pretty strong run there. He also, um, you know, just threw it a ton. He re, he rewrote the record for most passing yards in a season with over four thousand, and then broke it again after that. And he had the that volume number combined with the efficiency ends up being a huge, huge boost to this calculation. Now there are some you know criticism against against Fouts. Again, the playoffs being one of them. I'm going to steal here from a write-up that I've, you know, I've been referencing a few times on here by Brad, uh, Brad or or Emland, who did a write-up of the greatest quarterbacks of all times. And this is what he says about the lack of postseason success for Fouts. And I, I like what he's saying here. So he says the San Diego only made the playoffs four times in his career, the four different years that Fouts led the NFL in passing. He played badly in the first and last playoff games of his career, but between he averaged 300 yards a game, 
with a quarterback ra- with a passer rating of 90 and almost twice as many touchdowns as interceptions in the 1980 playoffs the chargers lost in the afc championship game 34 to 27 so again if your defense gives up 34 points you're not going to win a whole lot and they also say the next season fouls through three tds in an epic overtime win against the miami dolphins after which the chargers lost to cincinnati in the freezer bowl the coldest game in nfl history with reported wind chill of negative 59 degrees so it's kind of hard to blame him for those and he just didn't get enough opportunity to get into the playoffs now the context that does probably have some merit here is he played for again, brilliant offensive coach, phenomenally talented receiving core. When you talk about all the different players uh, that Fouts played with there, he played with perhaps, you know, an NFL 100 best tight end of all time type. When we're talking about Kellen Winslow, he also played with some pretty good receivers in West Chandler and Charlie Joyner that he had there. And again, this offensive system, which was just passing a lot and allowing him to accumulate all these different stats. So for me, Fouts is a top 20 guy, clear Hall of Famer, probably shouldn't be as high as 12. And I think it makes sense that he did not make the NFL 100 team. All right. We did it, people. We made it to the last quarterback for this episode before we get to the top 10 the next episode. And that is Fran Tarkenton. He, he is number 11. His career number is nine. His peak is 12 and his playoff number is 51. So the playoffs is what that playoff contribution is what's keeping him out of the top 10. And before I even start here, I think he is a top 10 quarterback. I would flip him with the quarterback who I have at number 10 for their statistical output, who had kind of an opposite career of, a ton of playoff success, a ton of team strength, uh, a high peak, but not so great on his on his career. He did, just didn't play long enough. If you want to guess who that is, maybe you can. Um, but the ten guy, I think I would I would flip with him, and you'll find out who that is on the next episode. But let's talk about Tarkenton here. Uh, somewhat forgotten as far as someone who really rewrote the record books. He played for the Minnesota Vikings from 1961 to 66. And then he went to the New York Giants from 67 to 71. And then he came back to the Minnesota Vikings from 72 to 78. He's obviously a Hall of Famer. He was the MVP in 1975 during his um, second stint with the Minnesota Vikings. First team All-Pro. He was third in the MVP voting in 1970, which is when he, the, when he was with the New York Giants. And he lost in the Super Bowl three different times. So... Longevity, when we talk about longevity and high-end play, Tarkenton is one of the symbols of that. 18 NFL seasons, started the entire way, played at least nine games in every season, finished with the most passing yards and most touchdowns in NFL history, and he was also top 10 in yards per game 17 years in a row when he played. He was at least top 10 in the NFL in yards per game, so he was doing so at volume consistently every year. Um, on top of the passing success, I have Targeton ranked fourth in rushing value. He had 3,700 career rushing yards. He was known as the greatest scrambler perhaps ever. 32 touchdowns, seven seasons with at least 300 yards rushing. 
And the scrambling ability, we kind of know that that's an underrated value. He's probably adding even more value than what those yards indicate versus design runs and things like that, because often they're done to avoid sacks and to pick up first downs on third down, which are highly, highly value added play. A very unique career progression. And this is a piece of context, which I think when we talk about Targeton, despite having these gaudy, gaudy numbers, you know, perhaps they could have been even better and really solidified him into the top 10, if not for some of the context here. When he started with the Vikings, they were an expansion team. So he had to start an expansion team. It took them four seasons to get to a winning record, which you might think is not great that it took so long, but it took the Cowboys even longer, who were an expansion team at the same time. And then after the six years with the Vikings, once he built it into a respectable franchise, he was traded to the Giants for two first round and two second rounders. It's kind of a blockbuster deal with all the big trades that we've seen recently in the NFL. Tarkenton was one of the first blockbusters and he was a value and he was felt immediately there. If you look at that team, it was a team, the New York Giants that went 1-12-1 and the season before he arrived. And then they went 7-7 seven seven the next season. So again, a bad team. He's taking a bad team and making a bad team average to slightly good which is showing his value but it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to have favorable passing situations a lot of surrounding talent in ways to enhance his efficiency when he's doing that but he started to develop into more of a high volume passer when he's with the giants set career highs for passing yards and touchdowns um not only did their record improve but you can see how much of it was on the offensive side of the ball the net yards per attempt for the giants went from 5.1 to 6.9 when um Tarkenton was there and they scored a, over 100 points more that season than they did the previous season which is an improvement of about 40 percent they took the team to four straight second place finishes but unfortunately never made the playoffs with the Giants so again the poor play there of the rest of the team kept him from accumulating some of those playoff numbers which would help his overall ranking so after five years with the Giants another blockbuster trade and he ends up going back to Minnesota and now he's coached by Hall of Famer Bud Grant, the brilliant purple people eating defense, which includes three Hall of Famers. And then the Vikings won the, a the NFC Central each of Tarkenton's last six seasons, including three NFC titles and three Super Bowl losses. So I know you're going to focus on the Super Bowl losses, but let's remember in the NFC when he played before getting to the Super Bowl, he was six and two in those different games and winning consistently there. Tarkenton is, and I, I guess I, did, I forgot to mention this as part of his accolades, that Tarkenton did not make the NFL 100 team. So he was a finalist. He made the NFL 100 team, did not make the NFL 100 team. I think he should be on there. Uh, but it's interesting that my ranking for the, again, the, the mystery guy that I have ranked at number 10 is on the NFL 100 team, even though I think their ranking should probably flip right here because of the context of what, what Tarkin had to deal with his entire career. And he's just someone, the volume, the efficiency, the way he was relied upon running and passing, that was like a one-man team in his ability to raise the level of a franchise, not just one win, two wins. He was like a five or six win ad multiple times over his career when he came and started playing for different franchises. Okay. That's it for today for the GOAT. I hope you're enjoying this series here. Again, I'll be coming back at you next week. I'm either going to do the last installment 
of the GOAT series on Monday or on Wednesday. It kind of depends on what sort of news there is in the NFL next week that will require my attention. I might save it for Wednesday. And then the following week is when we're going to start to see, you know, praise the Lord, we're going to start to see training camp start up. Uh, there'll just be little video clips all over the place that we can, we can dissect. There'll be, you know, best shape of my life season is finally gone and it'll be, uh, torching everyone in training camp and preseason season, which I'll love then. And we'll finally be inching closer and closer to what I think was going to be a very entertaining 2022 NFL season. For anyone, if you want to follow me on Twitter, do so at Kevin Cole PFF. You can email me. If you have questions, if you have comments, things for mailbags that I'm collecting, kevin.cole at pff.com. Always rate and review the pod. I appreciate that so much. Leave your comments in the YouTube video. I tend to read those and respond to those as one of the best places I can do so. Otherwise, again, thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in, and I'll be talking to you all next week. Thanks.